Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the husband is, I'm to love my wife as Christ of the church. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the wife is, I'm to submit to him as unto the Lord. You see, the point is this. You need to focus on what God has called you to do, and your mate needs to focus on what God has called them to do. And when you are both focusing on what God has called you to do, that's when it works. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, in a message titled, Christ, the Church, Wives and Husbands. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Well, listen, if you didn't disagree, then there would be no need to submit. Submission, the, the, only, the only time submission is necessary is when there's a disagreement. So this is where submission comes in. It's where you would have a difference of perhaps opinion or something like that, but you're coming under the authority of somebody else. So unless agreeing with your husband's decision would lead you into sin, you are to follow his lead and trust God. That's what submission is. You're putting yourself under the authority of someone else. Now, another question that has been asked is, what if my husband is an unbeliever? Now, some have thought if your husband is an unbeliever, then automatically this command has no application because God certainly would not want me to be submitting to an unbeliever. But Peter said in 1 Peter 3, one, he said, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. Now, he's talking about the situation where a woman would be married to an unbelieving man. He doesn't obey the word. But even there, he says, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So again, unless your husband is asking you to do something sinful, you are to submit to him. But notice what Paul says here also. He says, as unto the Lord. So you see, this is how you do it. You have to sometimes look past your husband because you disagree. You don't like this thing, this idea, this direction, whatever it is. But you do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are things, and I would imagine that you've discovered this already, you will if you haven't yet. But you know, there are things that God will require us to do as Christians that we don't necessarily like. We don't necessarily want to, you know, just purely from the standpoint of, of our flesh. But we do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are, there are people that I might say, well, you know, I don't want to forgive that person. That person's really hurt me. That person's been cruel and hateful. And, and they've really gone out of their way to make my life miserable. I don't want to forgive that person. But the Lord says, well, I want you to. I'm calling you to. So even though I might not want to do that as unto the Lord, I do it because I want to please him. And I know in the end that what he wants me to do is the right thing. So in some senses, it's, it's like that in the marital relationship. 
there are times when you, you have to look beyond your husband and you have to look to the Lord and you have to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this as unto you. And I'm going to do this because of the bigger picture that I'm, I'm a representative, the woman uh, would say, I'm a representative of the church. This is how the church responds to the Lord. So I'm, I'm going to do it on that basis. Now, Paul here in the context, he talks about the headship of Christ. So Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And so likewise, the husband is the head of the wife. So as we go back, and Paul does here in the passage, as I pointed out previously, he takes us back to Genesis. He takes us back to the beginning. He takes us back to God's uh, original plan. And there, of course, we have Adam and Eve. And we see the order. Man was made first, and then the woman comes after that. And we see there that the woman was made from and for the man. And we also read in Genesis that the male and female together, they are together collectively referred to as man, not as woman. So again, it's a matter of order. It's a matter of order. It's a matter of following God's order of things. And a marriage will be dysfunctional if we refuse to follow the order. So uh, when a woman is trying to lead in the relationship, it doesn't work simply because it was not made to work that way. See, there are things that are made to work a certain way. And if you try to do them differently, they don't work. And this is one of those cases. But again, let me just restate this. This isn't a matter of any kind of superiority. It's just like a, a captain of a, of a sports team. The captain on the team isn't a superior person to the other players. You just have to have somebody who can call the play in the huddle. And so it's, it's a similar kind of a thing. Now, I want to take a moment and just kind of make this a little bit personal. Now, I'm married to Cheryl. Most of you know that. And... Cheryl is a force of nature. <laughs> you know, my wife is super smart. You know, she's, she's very dynamic. She's very strong. She's a very strong woman. And yet, you know, the reality is she doesn't really have a problem with submission. Because, you know, submission, again, it's not dominance. It's not... I, I'm not, I don't go home and, you know, pull out my whip and start cracking it and telling her, you know, do this and get that. Once in a while I do that, uh, you know, <laughs> jokingly. <laughs> but, you know, not saying that we have like the perfect marital situation, but what I want to do is just express that, you know, we, we are doing what God says, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a bad thing. And submission, again, doesn't mean that I never consult her. I consult her quite often. I include her in almost everything. I will ask her advice. I will ask her counsel. Sometimes I won't know what to do. So I'm going to go to her and say, what do you think? And many times I'm going to actually go with her advice. That's good advice. I'm going to take it. Occasionally, she'll come to me and say, I think this, that, the other thing. And I'll say, okay, great, but I don't agree, and we're not going to do it like that, and 
Okay, that's, but you know, that, that's relatively rare, quite honestly. So I'm just trying to give you a picture of, and, and I think we're doing it right. I think we're doing it the way the Bible says to do it. But it's not this oppressive thing. And I'm, I'm saying this because I think whenever the term even comes up, whenever we hear this term, uh, you know, why submit to your husbands, immediately there's this, this thought of oppression. There's this thought of suppression. But it's not that at all. Remember, God made us. He saw that the loneliness of man was not good. It's a complementary thing. If I'm not allowing my wife to compliment me, if I'm not allowing her to have input into our relationship, then I'm not doing what God intended when he created the woman. So there's going to be this mutual thing where we're cooperating together, we're working together. But, you know, in certain cases, there's just going to be that, that final point where I am the one who's called to make the final decision. And we've had a few occasions in our lives together where, you know, she thought we should go in one direction. I thought we should go in the other direction. And at the end, I just made the call. This is what we're going to do. She didn't necessarily like it, but she said, you know what? I'm going to do it because this is what God told me to do. And if we crash and burn, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) And she's willing to trust God with that. So that's no, but you know, seriously, I'm just, I'm just trying to express, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And she would say it's a good thing. And so the biblical picture is a beautiful picture. It's not about oppression. It's not about control. It's not about dominance. And if, as a man, if you've thought that is what this means, you are greatly mistaken. And we'll get to that over the next couple of weeks when we look at the high call and the, the command that God gives to men. And what you see here is, you know, remember, you can't take these passages out of their context and isolate them. They're, yes, it starts with, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, but you have to carry on with the passage. It doesn't stop there. It, it says, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And my wife has told me many times, and I can just see it in you know, just the daily uh, outworkings of our relationship together. When she has that confidence that I love her, and when I'm operating from that position of loving her as Christ loved the church, submission is the most natural thing. It just comes completely naturally. You know, the problem that often occurs And the reason why we sometimes have problems is because we fail to focus our attention on what we are directed to do, and we tend to be preoccupied with what our mate is called to do. So first and foremost in the mind of the husband is, hey, my wife is to submit to me. First and foremost in the mind of the wife is, my husband's to love me as Christ loved the church. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the husband is, I'm to love my wife as Christ of the church. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the wife is, I'm to submit to him as unto the Lord. You see, the point is this. You need to focus on what God has called you to do, and your mate needs to focus on what God has called them to do. And when you are both focusing on what God has called you to do, that's when it works. As long as I'm waiting for the other one, to do what God's told them to do. And that's the, the thing that's 
really taking up my thought process on all this, it's never gonna get sorted out. I've gotta just stop and say, you know what? This is what God's called me to do, and I am going to do my best by his grace to do that. And when both people do that, that's when marriage is good. That's when it is that good thing that God intended it to be. So now I wanna just give one more point here before we close, but I wanted to just kind of get a bit of a fuller picture of what a godly wife is to aspire to be like and drawing from different places in the New Testament. And I want to just take it from Titus this morning, Titus chapter two, verses three through five. Let me read it to you and then I'll briefly comment on each one of these things. So Paul is writing to Titus. He's an elder and he's giving instruction for the believers. He says, the older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, submissive to their own husbands. So that's the instruction there. Starts with the older women, presumably married, and then to the younger women who are also presumably married because they love their wives and their children. So real quickly, what does he say? Number one, reverent in behavior. Ladies, reverent in behavior. What does that mean? It simply means this, that, that your life is marked by a consciousness of God, that you're living in the presence of the Lord, that you're, that you're a, a, a godly woman, to simplify it. That's, that's what he's referring to here. Not slanderers. The Greek word here is diabolos. That's the word from which we get uh, devil. And the, the devil means the slanderer. So he says to these women, they're to exemplify godliness in their, in their speech. They're not to be slanderous. They're not to be gossips. And then he says, not addicted to wine. It was not uncommon in biblical times for women to become alcoholics, to become addicted to alcohol seeking relief from the stress through those kinds of things. Sometimes today in a woman's stress-filled life, they will turn to some sort of a sedative for relief. Paul says, no, we're not to do that. We're to obviously turn to the Lord. Then he says, teachers of good things. So here are the older women, teachers of good things to the younger women, teaching them what? Teaching them to love their husbands you know, the interesting thing to me is that the Greek word here, phileo, is the word translated love. The wife is to love her husband. But when husbands are told to love their wives, it's the Greek word agape. Now, sometimes the distinction between these words is exaggerated. But it is the Greek word agape that is used of God's love for us, for God so loved the world. But the word is also used of men loving darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we oftentimes say, well, agape is like this unconditional love and so forth. It's not exactly that. It's more just of an intense love because men intensely love darkness rather than light. But it's God's intense love for us that caused him to give his son. That's the love the husband is to have for his wife, like Christ loved the church. But the wife is to phileo the husband. And what this says to me is the, the picture, again, Christ in the church is the model, right? So Christ is the initiator. We are the responder. 
And so the Bible puts the wife in the, in the position of responder. Like I said earlier, husbands, you want a good marriage? Love your wife. It's that simple. You love her, and she knows you love her, and she's secure in your love. It, it's a good thing. That's the way it works. So wives, love your husbands. Phileo your husbands. Teaching them to love their husbands. Love their children. And then be discreet. The word there means self-controlled, circumspect, careful, not governed by impulse. And then chaste. Chaste is an older kind of a word, you know, but it means pure and it means modest. But then we have this, uh, this term here, homemakers. Homemakers. Now for some, it's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? Homemaker? I got a job. I got a career. Bible says I got to become a homemaker? Well, the word literally means guardians of the home. So a married woman's life, and especially a married woman with children, should center around her home. It doesn't mean that she can't have things happening outside the home, but oftentimes those things potentially can take away the focus. So you have to be careful of that. Now, of course, there are people who have strong opinions about whether a woman you know, can work or out, outside of the home. I, I know of one preacher who's very, he's very dogmatic that that is absolutely forbidden by scripture. I personally don't think that's the case. Uh, some women have to work. Of course, a single mother would have to work. My mom worked my whole life as a kid. My parents were divorced when I was young, and for a few years, my mom was a single mom, and she worked, but then she got married to my stepdad, and uh, they needed two incomes. It wasn't enough, one income, so she worked my entire life, and sometimes that is the case, and then, of course, there are times when a woman simply chooses to work outside of the home, and the husband's in agreement with that. But the important thing is that those who choose to work must not lose the priority of the home. So guardians of the home. If you're working outside the home as a woman, as a wife, if you have children, make sure that you don't lose the priority of the home. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he says, good, teach them to be good, good Christians, good wives, good moms. And then finally he says, Submissive, back to the same word that we started with. Now, the Old Testament as well has several references to the wife and the wife's role. But let me just read a few. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what? It's true. It's all true. And there's nothing quite as wonderful as having a spouse, whether it's your wife or your husband, that you, you can trust them. You have absolute confidence in their integrity and their love. Oh, those things are priceless. They're absolutely priceless. Being a wife and a mother, I'll say this in closing, 
is not some second-rate task for women who can't make it at something else, as has been stated by some in the culture. Now, you know, those attitudes are, I think they definitely are the minority, but quite often the minority has the loudest voice. And this, this is kind of what we see in the culture. But the vast majority of women in our culture follow, whether they know it or not, they follow a biblical model of life as wives and mothers and so forth. And they're happy. It's the way God made it. So marriage and motherhood are a sacred trust to be guarded, cherished, and treasured with all one's heart. A woman who is called to be a wife and a mother ought to go about it with all the zeal and fervency of God's most passionate servant. You know, ladies, you know, sometimes uh, women feel like, well, I want to be a pastor. How come I can't be a pastor? That's discrimination. That's suppression, things like that. Well, there are certainly roles that women can have in churches. But remember, God has made man the head. So to lead a church, that God's reserved that for the men to do. But there are many other things that women can do. But you know, the greatest one of the greatest things you could do is be a faithful wife and a mother. Raise up a generation that will follow the Lord. You, you can't do any better than that. That's amazing. And, you know, again, I, I just thinking about my wife and thinking about her diligence in raising our kids. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But it's a high calling. It's a call from God. Now, let me just finalize everything with this. Uh, some lady came up to me after last service and she was, you know, she just said she was kind of broken up and I just, and you know, there's a lot of us that are single and we don't need to, we need to hear more about single this. And I said, well, you know, it's kind of hard to talk on singleness from wives submit to your husbands. It just doesn't really, <laughs> there's, there's not much about singleness included in that statement. So, but I said, look, I'm going to get to that. We'll get to that. We're in a series. Be patient. We're going we're gonna to make our way to that. And so, look, I know, I understand that not everybody is in um, this kind of a situation today. Not everybody's married. Some are divorced. Some are in marriages that aren't pleasant. I get all of that. But I'm just giving you God's picture. And in some cases, on a personal level, this is the general picture. Some of you need to come in for counseling. Some of you need to really connect with the Lord about getting things sorted out. But we're not dealing with all those detailed kind of things. We're just getting the bigger picture of things. But this is it in closing. You know, as we take just these simple commands, like I said before, they're pretty straightforward. They're not real complicated. As we take these and sincerely seek to do them, the end result is good because marriage is God's good gift. And he wants you to have a good experience. And it's a blessing. And so take that to heart. And let God take that simple truth of the goodness of this gift of marriage. And, and it, it's a good thing to be a wife. And it's a good thing to be a husband. It's a good thing to be a submissive wife. It's a great thing to be a loving husband. And just take those simple things and apply them. And watch how good it will get. 
For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Baptism, the gifts of the Spirit, women in ministry, the rapture, and creation. These are only a handful of doctrines that have caused division throughout the history of the church, and they continue to divide today. But the unity of the church is essential for the mission of the church. So in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides practical wisdom that can be personally applied when faced with doctrines that have divided. He exhorts all Christians to be honest, tactful, and gracious, because humility is the way to unity. If you want to be equipped to be doctrinally balanced, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.